The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome to the Rebel Podcast. Four weeks in a row, baby. Woo! P-Nate, Pooty, Garage Mahal, Dave, popping off. Love it. We are back in Garage Mahal, and we actually have a guest with us. So before I get to introducing our guest, uh, I'll just say very quickly, because I haven't said it for the last couple of weeks, that uh, we are part of the Fight, Laugh, Feast network. So if you download the app, it's the best place to get any of our content or anybody in the Fight, Laugh, Feast network, because it's uncancelable, because it's their own app. And so, uh, especially we like we spent some time in Facebook jail. Everybody spent some time in social media jail if they are saying anything that the Bible says. So, download the app. It's the best place to to hear our podcast. But along with that, on the Canadian side, we have the Liberty Dispatch. We have Open Mic with Mike Tyson. We have uh, Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock. There's lots of great stuff going on there. There's the uh, podcast for cultural renewal coming out of the Ezra Institute. So lots of good stuff. Download the app and there's lots of other good stuff on there. Even on the American side, there's lots of great stuff. We crushed that intro. We were were done all of that admin part in a minute. That usually takes us at least three minutes. Um, Usually a couple takes too, because we start (laughs) laughing at one another somehow. Usually anytime I say popping off. I know. I kept kept a straight face. I think that's the first time popping off has actually made it into the podcast. (laughs) Assuming Dave doesn't edit it out. I don't even know what it means, to be honest. (laughs) The youths today, Ethan can relate. They say these kind of things. Apparently it's lit after Frasier. It's pretty pretty (laughs) cool. Like, I don't know. All right. So Um, speaking of Ethan, we do have a guest in the studio with us in Garage Mahal. We blindfolded him and put him in the trunk so that he doesn't know the actual location of Garage Mahal, but uh, no. So Ethan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, Ethan has been listening to the podcast for quite a while, uh, coming to the church for, I think, eight, nine months eight, now? Eight, nine months, almost, almost a year now. Almost yeah. a year. He heard our episode about if we're a cult. He ag- he disagrees. He thinks we are, so he's here to, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's here to, tell, yeah. he's here to tell you the real uh, truth. No, um, so Ethan's a young guy in the church who, actually, I think the first conversation we had was at the, uh, the men's event, the Piety Night. Yeah. So Ethan was just kind of interested in discipleship and, and just all this kind of stuff. So I want to get together with him as a young guy who's taking discipleship seriously um, and finally find out that we have a lot in common in terms of just interest and stuff like that. And, and one of the things that Ethan is interested in is media and podcasting and all that kind of stuff. And as a longtime listener, we're like, why don't you just come and join us one time? Yeah, why not, right? Having you in actually fits well because we just finished three-week uh, kind of mini-series on just kind of defending some of the criticism coming out of the church. But rather than kind of defending criticism, really what we were trying to do is help our people navigate some of the questions that they're getting as you know new attendees to the church, that church that's sort of been canceled by their previous church and other churches and all that kind of stuff. But we just thought bring you in and just allowing you to talk about your experience at Crossroads a little bit and ask you some questions because I know you have some passions that we'd like to kind of meander our way to in conversation. So what brought your family to Crossroads in the first place? 
Oh, like Chris, it's it's a cult, so it looked kind of interesting. <laughs> kind of got in there, but no, typically yeah. like, like well, we gave our firstborn child. child like, and yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. No, it, we, we started coming um, uh, mid COVID time when uh, I think it was during the second lockdown. Yep. The church we were at was uh, responding very uh, hostile to like how we were reacting to it because we still like getting together people, and then it was very hostile to what we were saying. So we're like, okay, let's take a look at. Crossroads, like, you know, like it's so we just started coming there, and then it's worked so far. Nice. So you guys started coming, and I know you and your dad had listened. I think it was just you and your dad had listened to the podcast yeah, dad, prior, yeah. so you knew a little bit about what you're kind of getting into. So the post millennialism stuff wasn't yeah, necessarily yeah, wasn't a, a shocker to you. What's been your experience at the church? Like, what have you guys experienced? Have you guys gotten to know people? Have you guys got like, gotten integrated into the community? Oh, yeah, yeah. So far, it's like uh, instantly, as soon as we got there, it was just very friendly, very open. People really wanted to uh, get to know us. Like you said in the last podcast, um, it was hard sometimes to break into the community initially to like get to know people. But we started kind of, um, guess who's coming to dinner? We, yep. we got into that and then we got to know some families. And so far, we've, we've integrated pretty well. Nice. This isn't like a um, let's bolster up and talk about how great Crossroads is because uh, we do that enough. Check out our new podcast (laughs) called Why We're Awesome. No, but one of the things that I I thought was interesting when you and I were chatting, uh, I think it was last week or the week before, was you're just kind of talking about how, I guess, getting a different dose of teaching or whatever that that you feel like you've grown just spiritually and understanding of scripture and just excitement level for digging into the word of God since you got here personally. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Just talk a little bit about that. Like what's been the sort of transformation in your life over the last uh, year or so? Yeah, earlier this year, especially once we started coming here with like the teaching, like, like expository teaching, especially I was getting challenged on what I was getting taught in my old church. And I was, and then something clicked. I'm like, I need to figure this stuff out. And then it got into the whole thing. It was like, I was like wondering, is this just my parents' faith that I'm following along? Am I just coming to the church because they're coming here? And then I started to, to really wrestle with the meanings of life and Christianity itself. And that's kind of how this uh, drive for uh, discipleship started because I know, like, no one really helped me out when I was uh, when I in it last year when I was working through all this stuff. So I was like, you know what? I'd like to help other people who are doing the exact same thing as me. Mm. Obviously, a lot of stuff would have shut down. I don't know what programs and everything you were involved in, but like, I guess like just lockdowns, shutdowns, all that kind of stuff. How did that affect you personally as a young guy in need of community? Really, for the longest time, I was always uh, very extroverted, and then. Lockdown happened, and all of a sudden, I find myself going, "I don't want to go up and hang out with people." I just like, I don't, I don't. Yeah, it's so it's it's very it was very challenging to want to hang out with people even after the lockdowns kind of just lifted. It was very very difficult because you're just in your in your bubble, so it, that was difficult, definitely. And like even spiritually, because like you didn't have accountability, you didn't have yeah. all these things with our with our church because of all the lockdowns. So that was a big deal, that's for sure. So you have this this drive to kind of make your faith your own and all that kind of stuff. So you're 18 or 19? I'm 18 years old. 18. Yeah. So, and grew up in a Christian home, right? Your, your parents love the Lord. I know your dad, Dan's a great guy, uh, good theology, good leader, all that stuff. This is an interesting thing because I think every church needs to figure out how to facilitate stuff like this. And I think every young person is going to come to that point where even when they're raised in a great Christian home like you, you're going to come to a place where there, there's a transition that needs to happen. And that mm-hmm. is from you living with your parents' faith to you making your faith your own. And that's obviously a, an important part of anybody's life, I guess. But I guess what was it that made you think, like, I need to have these answers for myself. I need to figure some of this stuff out myself. 
Well, it was, it was typically like I like had a lot of friends from whether it's from work, coworkers, and um, school or, or whatever that really started to um, not indoctrination, but they, it was very much like they're they're driving towards oh like what why you why you believe this and I'm then I was like my parents believe this and just like all of a sudden you know, it's, there's a yeah. conflict in your life or just like you've always thought one way and that's the way you thought because that's the way you're raised up to be right and when there's this conflict the idea of like, oh the world like science like uh, creation theory and stuff right yeah like all this stuff like, all of a sudden I'm like what's evolution like what why, what's this going on I always knew about it. I'm like, oh, then I always thought, oh, that's just stupid. And just like, that's, yeah, right? yeah. It's just like, oh, that's, that's all that, I knew. That's all I knew. Like, it's stupid, but I don't know why. Yeah, yeah. but it just it was it was that uh, turning point where it's just like, this is serious. If this is my faith, not what's going to happen to my soul, right? Just right. like it was, yeah, yeah, it's heavy. It is very heavy. And that that's all happened in the last like little last like, year years? or two, like for some, since beginning of COVID, really, like last mm. two two and a half three years now. It's funny how your story isn't. Like it's, it's unique to you, but it's not unique in the setting of our church. There's a lot of people who similar type stories. It's funny how something that the world is painted as like a set, like a, this big awful thing. And we see Fruit. easily a hundred, hundred, 150, 200 people who have that story that yeah. COVID made their faith real, deepened it in many cases. I'm not saying you, but in many cases brought them into yeah. faith because of they, they found a church, they found a faithful, faithful body. There's not just us, other ones too. And it's, it's just funny how many people's story is the same, is the same thing. What people view as evil in the world, God is using to, for good. Yeah. For his good. Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting because I think, you know, there, there was so much difficulty and I think sometimes we, we forget that the church always thrives in the midst of, of difficulty, right? Like historically speaking, you know, some of the greatest revivals have come in after the times of, of deepest darkness. And so coming out of the kind of the darkness of COVID and there's, there's lots of young people who like, like even there's, I'm thinking of another young man in our church who he's a believer. He loved the Lord, but I would say, and I think he would say his, his identity was really kind of wrapped up in, in his identity as a hockey player. He was a great hockey player, actually. COVID hit, right? Like right, really right during the year he would have been drafted and, and then he couldn't play because of mandates and all this kind of stuff. And so suddenly he has to wrestle with what did it look like for me not to be the hockey guy? Was it look for me like for me to, you know, find my identity in Christ? And there's lots of people who like whatever it was that was the idol in their life got torn down because of COVID and they had to kind of rebuild and God in his grace brought them to the rock where they can build something that'll last. Yeah, it's where every, everything is stripped away is when you can really find your true identity. Absolutely. That's, that's the biggest thing that I learned during COVID, which is crazy. So Yeah, for sure. I'm interested, Chris, because you you have a very, I, I think all three of us actually have very sim- different stories. So Ethan grew up in a like faithful Christian home. I would say I grew up in a Christian home. My father proved not to be a believer, fell away from the Lord. And there was a lot of, I would say, difficulty in that. And you grew up in a completely non-Christian home and, and were led to the Lord through uh, YFC, of all things, actually. Yep. Ethan's experience is sort of making my faith my own rather than just riding the coattails of my parents into heaven, so to speak. Yeah. So can you relate, though, at all to that, Hold Chris? to the tassel. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Can you relate to that at all, Chris, in terms of like, I guess your faith had to be your own right from the get-go. 
Yeah, if anything, it's it's almost the exact opposite, right? So like when I was saved, like you're starting to cling to faith and you're, I think very common when people get saved, they want to tell everybody because like you, it's like when you see something for the first time, everybody should see what you see because like right. I became a Christian. I started telling everybody in my family and the opposite happened. Whereas like I'm assuming some things here, like when you guys first made your professions of faith, I would say most people probably tried to encourage you in your faith. Right. Mm-hmm. Mine was the opposite. My uncle who's passed away now, but he yeah, during COVID, not from COVID though, took me out in, in his work truck and he, it's okay for now, but like this born again thing needs to stop. And he was just like, and he was like very much like Christianity in his mind, stupid. It's, it's a crutch, like yada, yada. But I think it's hard in, in all circumstances that like when you grow up non-Christian and then you become a Christian, everybody else around, they don't, they don't know that you have a new heart now, which is now trying to desire something. There's no defining point of... Exactly, right? Like, for me, it was just like, I feel like I'm a different person. You know what I mean? Like, I still have all the same, like, like, urges and, like, angers and stuff like that, like, that I'm working through now, but now my desire is to not give in to them, it's to, to defeat them. When I first became a Christian, it was almost like my friends and family it was almost an affront to them that I think that I would like change what they had taught me. And Mm -hmm. it was like, or needed something more. (laughs) Exactly. Right. It's just funny to think back on like just the differences in, in being a first generation Christian versus like multi-generational where it's like, it's just a different scenario. Right. So I don't know if that answers your question, but no, no, well, I just think it's interesting, right? Because the need for both is discipleship, but it's interesting to think through the differences in terms of like, yeah, there's something in the sinful human heart that wants to rebel against authority, right? Which is why you get so many of the stories of, of young people growing up in faithful Christian homes who have a desire to rebel, depending on how well the parents have raised them and all that kind of stuff. But they all have to kind of go through that experience that Ethan was talking about of making their faith their own. And then the testimony of like coming to faith and actually having it discouraged, which is interesting as well. So the takeaway that I'd like to kind of get us to here is I think everybody needs to do the hard work of, of doing their own legwork. One of the things that we can do, whether we come into faith late in life or we come into faith early in life, is we can rely on the study and the expertise of others. And one of the things that really impressed me when I was talking to you a couple weeks ago there, Ethan, is just your desire to not take anything for granted. You know, your parents are wise. They've given you good answers. And now it's like, you still need to be a good Berean and go and search the scriptures to see if these things are so. And I know you're even working through some theology, some pretty heavy theology, just like, you know, right now is like, you know, how do I grasp this concept? Not just my parents told me this is true. Now, where in scripture does it say this? How can I, can I defend it? Can I articulate it? You know, all that kind of stuff. There's a verse that most people get wrong when they start talking about the, it's when Paul talks about, I think it's in first Corinthians when he talks about like, you're still on milk when you should be on solid food. And that idea, we all have this idea that we think that that means theology Mm. and it doesn't. The analogy that Paul's using is that a baby is completely dependent on their parents and the others to feed and and protect and to grow them. So like a, a child, when it's born without the mother's milk, it dies. And so what Paul's getting at is that you're completely dependent still on the apostles, leaders in that church for your salvation, for your theology, whereas you should be moving on to solid food now that you're doing the work yourself. Right. You're digging the scripture yourself. You're learning these things yourself. And I think that's what we need to get people to. And that's what's it's so encouraging to have a guy like Ethan who's come to the church, you know, seven, eight months ago, who's now like digging into solid food on on his own. He no longer is dependent on his mom and his dad who are great people, but like 
for his own theology, right. for his own his own faith, because he's now moving on to solid food. And I just think it's super encouraging when we look around our church, other churches, to see young men, young women who are doing the hard work themselves to make their faith their own. To be honest, Nate, I think like our generation lost this. You know what I mean? Like mm. our generation didn't yeah. do this. We're fairly young to be elders and stuff in Thanks, churches. Man. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah I, I linked myself into there just because, <laughs> yeah. like, it's the only way I could do that. But I mean, yeah. like, in general, like, there's a joy for, like, an older generation because they've lived life. They've internalized a lot of this. But really what we want is we want to see every generation have that. And I think the, what's so encouraging with Ethan and Ethan's generation is that we, I, I think we're starting to see men who do desire, not just to, like, you know, be able to drywall, but also be able to teach. You know what I mean? And it's like that idea of like the trellis and the vine kind of thing. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I was just having a conversation with a guy earlier today about just how the root of so many of the issues that we see in churches right now is the lack of solid men taking their calling to lead seriously. He's not a part of our church, but he was talking about how at his church, he was on the kind of search committee or whatever for the next round of elders and he said that there are like 20 people in their church asked to serve as elders. They needed five. And out of asking 20, they got five elders. The verse that came to my mind is he who desires the office of elder desires a noble task. That's not the way it goes, right? It doesn't go like we shouldn't be going and asking people, hey, would you consider you know, serving as an elder? What should be happening is that young men in their 30s and in their 40s should be coming and saying, you know, I've led my family well, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I think I'm ready to be an elder. And then we say, okay, hold on a little bit, let's examine your life, let's talk about it, let's train you, let's disciple you, all that kind of stuff. But people should be knocking down the door. There should be 20 people waiting and five spots available, and they all want those five spots, right? And they're, they're trying to sort of outdo one another to earn the noble task of leading the church. And that's the way it should be. But how many people, I might be totally derailing the conversation here, but like... We had no plan. Here, so. <laughs> but like, how many fathers do you know have abdicated their role to disciple their own kids? They offload it to the church Sunday school, to the youth ministry, to the junior high, to the public school system, right? They've abdicated their role to disciple their own kids. And then we, we were shocked and appalled that none of them are knocking down the doors of the, of the church to become elders. They've abdicated those roles. And then what happens in the wake of all that? This is really interesting. So think about this. Sorry, I'm getting on a rant now. But but think about this. So you have you have a bunch of guys who aren't leading in their own homes, aren't discipling their own kids, therefore aren't leading in the churches. And then they get all up in arms about churches who ordain women or allow women onto the elders board, right? Because they still want to have their noses up about theology, but they're not willing to actually do the hard work of being the men that ought to be leading. So I'm not defending women in those roles. Our church is strictly complementarian. I would say we're not even just complementarian, we're patriarchal. And, and oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> right? We do believe in that men lead in the home, in the church, in society. But I understand. I understand. <laughs> I understand where feminism came in because you have a bunch of men who have abdicated these roles and they're not worthy to follow. And so you have all these women who the sin, it is a sin, the sinful tendencies in their own heart because of the fall, this is Genesis 3.15 or 3.16, is that now they will desire to overtake and to dominate and to take the role from their husbands. 
this is the whole problem is that you have men who aren't willing to, to lead. You have men who aren't willing to step up and do the hard thing. And interestingly, even like when I think about, so we've done a combination of both things in terms of Christian education and, and homeschooling. And one of the things that I have noticed is that predominantly, it's not, not always, but predominantly, it's actually women who are willing to take the pay cut to teach at a Christian school. Men who are teachers are often too, what can we say, unwilling nice, to, let go, nice. to let go of the $90,000 public school salary to go and teach at a, at a private Christian school. Wouldn't it look different if our private Christian schools had some men discipling the young men in those schools? Absolutely. Would. I also didn't realize that teachers made $90,000 a year. So um, I think it gets up to there. I need there. to change my profession. Right? <laughs> yes. Seriously, I have to get their summers off, and it's, yeah. uh, it's soft. it pays to be um, a public servant. No, it's, it's and like comes back to the main thing is like, and it's that because we've, we've raised men to think that like the noble goal of provide and, and protect your family, but the means of like money is what's really important there. So I need to make $200,000 to do that where it's like, no, no, it means being faithful with whatever money you, you've been given. Right. So to back up the, the train of thought, how great would it look like if all of those private Christian schools were being taught by men and women who are connected to a local church that, that local church is then funding that school. Like, well, that's like, that's part of the problem. Just uh, to go on another side tangent from my side tangent, <laughs> um, is that the problem with private Christian school is generally speaking, right? So there's there's good ones. A King Alfred Academy coming out of Trinity, right? Westminster Academy coming out of Westminster Chapel. We're starting something. Aaron Rock has started something with uh, Harvest Windsor. There are good classical Christian schools that are connected to churches, but part of the problem is is that when there's a private Christian school that's not connected to a local body, then suddenly, because let's be honest, we say all the time that God did not delegate to the state the sphere of education, but he did delegate that to the family and to the church. And so not to a private school committee, right? but to the church. And so if, if the men who are to oversee and to protect the doctrine of the church are also overseeing the polity and the education of a school, well, now you have qualified men rather than just the you know PTA that happens to be. And this is why so many private Christian schools get just as liberal and just as woke as the public school system, because in their desire to compromise with all the various denominations and different and you know theological diversities that that tendency of a centralized bureaucracy always slides left i want to be careful because i i think we don't want to like poo poo on all christian schools you know what i mean like poo poo is that a thing <laughs> way yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> i was laughing both at that but also like i like, yeah you're right i i'm and i'm not trying to do that no i, I just want to be like we're not, we're not trying to do that because like they probably when they started they probably had the best intentions. Yeah. I think the, the big app, the application from what I'm taking from is like, if God has ordained and I'm saying if like air quotes, you know, if God has ordained the family and the church to be the primary educators, then that means the family and the church have to be the ones that are accountable and responsible for what's being taught, which means we can't just start the ministry and let it go on its own because that's how we end up like them disassociating with us 10 years from right. now. Cause nobody remembers the vision and the per it has to be connected to your overall body that's right. of your, of your church family. 
because the church is made up of is a household of households, right? Yeah. So, and that's why we would we would say, and I try to catch myself at our church to say like parental education, because even though it might be whether it's through a private Christian school or through a church run Christian school. I do think parental involvement is is key because I think that that's where the primary responsibility lies. But we see the apostles in writing the New Testament letters addressing the children, teaching them to submit to their parents and stuff. So there's this there's this both and, right? I think the the primary responsibility for education of the children in I say worldly education and what I mean by that is just how to live in the world, right? To family but then, you know, instilling doctrine into the lives of children is still still falls under it's that overlap of spheres uh, with the church as well. Mm-hmm. And since no education is neutral, it's all spiritual. There ought to be a shared responsibility between the church and the family. Does Amen. that make sense? Abs- yeah. Absolutely. Ethan, where do you fall in the? <laughs> 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 yeah, let's put Ethan on the spot. What do you think? Of but you're you're uh, homeschooled, right? Yeah, I was homeschooled. Yeah. Group, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can you imagine if we were just spent this whole episode like, no, bashing stuff in Ethan's life, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. yeah you're homeschooled, right? Homeschooled all the way through. All yeah. the way through, yeah. So, and how many brothers and sisters do you have? I have one sister and a brother. Yeah. So, and and you find that you guys are tighter because of the education that you. Really more so. The relationship is definitely much more there because we're not just away all day in our own classes. We're kind of like for the longest time we were just always at the same table, the kitchen table or whatever. Yeah doing the school so it just it made it definitely a bigger difference in that relationship yeah for sure so one of the things that uh um we only have a couple minutes here because ethan has to run off to class actually so uh we don't want to get him uh get him late for for such things but he's done uh, homeschooling <laughs> <laughs> I get a I'm call. In fourth grade. <laughs> Sorry, this is too close. But yeah, Ethan really has kind of a desire to, as he formulates his own theology, as he answers his own questions, as he does his own legwork and sort of solidifying where he stands theologically, uh, he has a real passion to help other young people through that as well. And so one of the things that we would really encourage Ethan to do is to absolutely discipleship is key but among your peers like keep spreading the message that you can't ride your parents coattails into heaven but not only that but you will have the opportunities to answer questions and to evangelize a group of people that will never come into the doors of the church without you know your involvement in their lives outside the walls of the church and so your ability to navigate in conversation defend your faith is of the utmost importance so I know you got a passion for that, and so keep doing that and keep encouraging young people like you to dig down deep into their faith and solidify their theology because now's the time to do it. Amen. Yeah. Well, thanks, Ethan. We were the Rebels. Hopefully, you enjoyed this special one off episode, I guess we would call it. <laughs> I don't know what to call it. Have a great one, guys. See ya.